Hey everyone, welcome back to Chipsock Investor. Today we're going to talk about Broadcom. Yes, we're going to talk about Broadcom. Uh, we're going to do a small comparison with Marvell Technology. If you haven't watched that yet, we covered their earnings last week. So if you want to be up to speed, check that out because we have long said Marvell is kind of like a baby Broadcom in a lot of ways minus the big software component that Broadcom has, but we'll talk about that. Uh, and then we'll do like a little mini rant on the AI business model and what the world still seems to not understand about this AI movement and why it has really broken the software as a service subscription-based model that we like kind of all got used to over the last decade. We need to alter our thinking on this. And so we'll talk about that and why companies like Broadcom are really so well positioned to continue leading the charge for what we think will be the foreseeable future. Before continuing, let me remind you to hit the like button and subscribe to the channel if this video is helpful as you do your own investment research and increase your knowledge of business and technology. We really appreciate the support as subscribing to the channel helps us continue putting out content like this. Yeah, we have a lot to cover with this company. So let's jump right in to where this company fits in the semiconductor industry flow. Normally, we can put a company into a specific box here, but Broadcom is a little different. They do a little bit of everything, don't they, Nick? Yes, they do. So... I think a lot of investors still think Broadcom is a completely fabulous chip designer. You can see that box right here in the chart uh, that you've made, Casey. But we actually covered this a few months ago. Broadcom also has some of its own fabs. Um, they have one in Fort Collins, Colorado, one in Pennsylvania, one in Singapore, which is their their historic headquarters. Uh, this company primarily sources its its wafers from TSMC, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing. But about 10% of their wafers they actually make in-house. And it's a specialty process that we predicted would help them extend the contract they have with Apple. And indeed, before this earnings report even came out, uh, they did announce that they had extended that contract with Apple that long-term contract with Apple. Again, we think because of these fabs, especially the one in Fort Collins, uh, we'll probably talk about this a bit more too. So Broadcom, mostly a fabulous chip designer, but also some specialty fabs in-house as well. So they kind of transcend multiple aspects of the semiconductor industry flow. Let's take a brief look at the most recent quarter's numbers here. Their revenue for this most recent quarter was $8.7 billion, which was up 8% year-over-year, gross profit margin around 70%, and operating margin nearly 46%. And you can see from this chart here about Broadcom sales segments, the main player here, networking, $2.6 billion, which was a 20% year-over-year change. Storage connectivity, $1.1 billion, also up 20%, and broadband, 10% year-over-year change. And as we all know, wireless has decreased across the board here. Uh, for most companies, it was down 9% year-over-year for Broadcom as well. Looking at these numbers, Nick, it, it certainly looks like there's some similarities with Marvell. 
Yeah, this is a good spot to maybe throw up the comparable table that we made for Marvell last week. Because as you can see here, uh, looking at Broadcom first and now comparing it to Marvell, the baby Broadcom, uh, a lot of these segments are the same. Uh, the companies don't directly compete across the board because sometimes they tackle, for example, different parts of, of the networking infrastructure uh, part of the industry. They have they have differentiated chip, chips or maybe even complementary chips in, in some circumstances, but you can definitely see some similarities here. And we say Marvell is the baby Broadcom, not just because it's much smaller than Broadcom, but Broadcom does have some additional segments that Marvell does not. And most importantly, it's that infrastructure software bit that you see here. Uh, so Broadcom in 2017 acquired a company called Brocade. Uh, it's enterprise networking software, basically software that helps, uh, let's say like a giant cloud computing company uh, manage the flow of data through a data center. Uh, they bought a company called CA Technologies and then they bought the enterprise security segment of Symantec. Uh, what was left over after that became Norton LifeLock, which is now Gen Digital, correct? Okay, yes. Sorry. So they made those three software acquisitions. Um, so interestingly here, Broadcom, uh, overall you could say a wireless chip and networking chip specialist, but very, very well-rounded here and very competitive because of that infrastructure software that they've layered on top of that. So kind of an end-to-end, -end, an end-to-end -end company. They kind of, you could almost say pioneered this, this type of business model because you might notice some similarities also with NVIDIA. NVIDIA trying to do this with their compute. They have the chips and then also the computing software that goes along with those chips. Broadcom, does that, but on the networking side, they have the networking chips, and then they also have the networking software to go along with it. This absolutely shows up in the profit margin for this company. You can see from this chart from our friends at Main Street Data over the past few years, operating margin and gross profit margin have done basically nothing but go up. And for this last quarter, I'll just reiterate, the operating margin was nearly 46%. Uh, yeah, that is ludicrous. Um, and it's not just because of the, uh, the software business either, Casey. Uh, software tends to have the higher profit margin versus hardware. Um, but Broadcom actually does gross margins of over 70%, even on their product sales, uh, which is crazy. They, uh, Broadcom kind of notoriously restricts inventory of their chips. If they're able to, they restrict the inventory so that they are always getting favorable pricing for themselves. Um, customers don't necessarily like that, but you know, when you're a big, powerful company like Broadcom, that's a luxury that you have. And you get to share in that if you're a shareholder. It's pretty, pretty good stuff. This is one of the reasons we call Marvell the baby Broadcom, but we really want it to grow into a business like this. It has that potential. Nick, so you mentioned the extension of the contract with Apple, or as CEO Hawk Tan comments on him, the business customer in North America. But we know that company is Apple. That that contract has been extended. But what 
everyone wants to know about at this point. And the CEO also recognized this in his in the earnings call and prepared remarks that everyone wants to know where Broadcom fits in in this AI space. So where where do you see this company fitting in? Oh, they're already very predominantly a part of this ecosystem. So maybe just a little bit of background here before we rattle off a few specific products from Broadcom, uh, Casey. There's three main components of an AI system. And really, it's the same three components of, of a traditional computing system as well, which at this stage, generative AI is still brand new. So the majority of Broadcom's networking uh, networking sales comes from traditional data center and cloud customers. But at any rate, the three main ingredients are memory. Um, so later this month, later late June, we have the ugly duckling uh, Micron that we'll talk about that handles, we think will be a winner here and the best place for investors to bet on the the storage, basically the memory component. Uh, second, you have the compute. That's NVIDIA. NVIDIA has built an absolute dominant lead in this AI space, AMD playing a very distant second fiddle to NVIDIA at this point. And it's because of the software. Again, very important here. NVIDIA has been working for well over a decade on the hardware and the software component together. That's compute. That's actually the, the actual number crunching. And then the third, it's like the connectivity between the memory and the compute. You have networking. Think of this as like the, the freeway and highway system. Again, like we talked about with Marvell, the highway and freeway system, where the information travels in between storage and compute, and then back again from compute back to storage. That's Broadcom's sweet spot. They are the dominant player in this space uh, because of the breadth of their portfolio of chips. But also, again, software. They kind of got this party started with that integrated full stack design. Um, and it's where they're betting even more heavily on with the uh, pending VMware acquisition. So Broadcom dominant in networking. And so now just a natural progression here into AI. Again, it's it's just all on the networking side. They, they talked about two specific products on, on the call. The Tomahawk switching chips for traditional enterprise workloads. Um, so this these Tomahawk switches, basically what this does is, is it's a type of chip that decides where the traffic, where the data traffic should go. Um, is this a, a, a piece of data that needs to go to the traditional CPU part of the server, or does it need to go to like some sort of computing accelerator? Um, these are becoming increasingly important not just in the traditional enterprise workload, but also just as high-performance computing in the cloud continues to get more complex, these Tomahawk switches will excel. But then there's also the Jericho 3 AI chips, which we talked a little bit about three months ago during Broadcom's last earnings update. These are new. Jericho 3 AI switches, these basically connect those thousands and thousands of GPUs together because if you're training an AI model, it requires massive amounts of data and you need a chip that coordinates the movement of that data that is training the AI algorithm between all of those GPUs. 
So this Jericho 3 AI chip, uh, it's, it's the highest performance networking fabric chip that connects all of these GPU clusters, as many as 32,000 of them at 800 gigabit per second bandwidth. Basically, this is like an ultra high speed freeway system between all of those GPUs. So again, maybe just to reiterate, Tomahawk switches for traditional commute, compute that decides whether a workload should go to a CPU or a GPU. And then you have these Jericho 3 AI chips that basically just connect all of the GPUs together. So GPU to GPU. Already AI is a part of Broadcom's business. At, at this point, uh, the CEO mentioned that their revenue, about 10% in AI in 2022, it could be over 25% of their semiconductor revenue in fiscal 2024. So it's obviously a growing part of the business. Yeah. And just thinking back to the, the revenue breakdown chart that you provided earlier, Casey, the forecast is about 5% total revenue growth, year-over-year rev revenue growth in the next quarter. It appears most of that is going to come from those AI chips. Uh, software is going to remain flattish. A lot of the traditional chip sales are going to be roughly flat. And then the additional growth from AI as that starts to get layered into Broadcom's business, which 5% total growth, not nothing huge, but I think, remember, bear in mind here, we still have about one more quarter of expected semiconductor industry slump. Um, and so a lot of its peers are contracting, Broadcom still in growth mode. So what's going to happen to this business when all of the end markets it addresses suddenly return to growth mode, perhaps the second half of this year, uh, we could have some potential acceleration in, in uh, revenue growth as early as the back half of this year. So to recap, we have a huge company that provides a lot, across, a, a lot of products across the semiconductor industry, well-poised in AI. They also have a ton of competitors if you look at their 10K form, they list countless competitors in the semiconductor industry. So what's the thesis for owning a company like Broadcom, Nick? Well, for the last few years, uh, we've been saying the market has been mispricing Broadcom. There's still this misconception, uh, not just for us as individual investors, but I think the market overall that small business equals more growth. And in the age of computing technology, um, especially a company that dabbles in software or maybe more than dabbles in software like Broadcom, you have the most scalable business model ever developed. And size does not necessarily equate to the same throttling of overall growth, the bigger the business becomes like we've seen in decades and centuries past. That will probably eventually change, but, but not yet. Computing technology uh, is not necessarily limited by size. So we have a lot of mega cap tech stocks like NVIDIA and Broadcom in recent months that are exhibiting small cap like performance. So I think the first thesis is, you know, Broadcom was undervalued we think today it's now fairly valued, fine, 
but that doesn't mean the company is going to suddenly stop growing. Uh, we still see tons of growth for this business in the coming years from AI and just overall expansion of high-performance high computing. Uh, the other thesis is we're a bit nervous about the VMware deal, but I, I think I need to kind of like temper temper the negativity, our negativity on this a bit, because it is a massive acquisition. It is going to probably add more debt. But at this point, Broadcom has demonstrated a, a fantastic ability to squeeze a ton of profit out of the acquisitions they make. CEO Hoktan is a financial guy. He knows how to make acquisitions and make the most out of them. Um, so if that deal goes through, I think that is actually a potential third reason this business continues to grow uh, at an exceptional pace and delivering above average profitability in the next, let's say, three to five years. When asked about that acquisition and how that was progressing, the CEO mentioned that a few they have got they're continuing with the regulatory paperwork. They've gotten approval from a few more countries, and he still expects the deal to close in their fiscal year 2023. So we'll keep an eye on that. And hopefully it's a positive thing for the company. And one one thing that you mentioned, Nick, about free cash flow and versus debt for this company. We'll just take a look at another chart here from Main Street Data. Their free cash flow in the most recent quarter was $4.4 billion. And you can see that they have very healthy free cash flow. But we also need to look at the debt and liabilities here. If we switch over to the, the other chart with their liabilities and debt, you can see a total debt of $39 billion. So can you talk a little bit about why this is not necessarily bad. They have an abundance of cash. Uh, this is a semiconductor business that sort of just bleeds cash like no other. Uh, like you said, over 4 billion in free cash flow just in the last quarter alone. They have more than enough cash to service that debt, pay the interest on it. Uh, if they can't get good refinancing terms when that debt comes due, they have plenty of cash on hand and constant free cash flow to maybe just pay it off and retire the debt. Um, and then with the addition of VMware, they think that that free cash flow is going to really go through the roof again. So yes, they might take on another 20 to 30 billion in more debt. But I think on a free cash flow to debt basis, this company is actually still fairly healthy. The balance sheet is a little lopsided and not to our liking, and this is most definitely a risk. I think the most important risk investors should be aware of with Broadcom, not the competition. Remember, chips chips get patented. Uh, they have IP that they can defend quite vigorously which again is why we said Broadcom was probably going to extend that contract with Apple. Apple can't just suddenly decide, hey, we want to design our own connectivity chips, bye-bye Broadcom. doesn't work that way. That's not the biggest risk. We think the debt burden could be a risk if at some point in the future, Broadcom suddenly loses some leadership 
in its chip portfolio or if the market trends just kind of suddenly change and and maybe uh, its breed of networking chip um, falls out of favor in lieu of something something else. So I think that's what we should probably all be watching very closely as a primary risk. Now, if you're not aware of what Nick is referring to when it comes to Apple, we'll put a link to that video that we did a few months ago in the description, and then you'll notice it on the screen here as well. So take a look at that video. It's very important to uh, the thesis for Broadcom. Uh, let's talk about valuation now. Nick, you touched on this a little bit, but let's let's actually get down to the numbers. Yeah, I think for the last three years-ish or so, maybe closer to four, we've been investors in Broadcom. Uh, with one of our primary theses being that the stock was underappreciated and undervalued by the market. Suddenly, everybody in the market seems to know who Broadcom is, thanks to this AI, maybe nonsense, maybe just, you know, temporary hype, whatever. Um, and we now think it's pretty fairly valued. So here's the assumption that I'm looking at. Free cash flow per share is the metric we use for Broadcom because the company is highly profitable, uh, free cash flow, a key metric that they share every single quarter. So free cash flow per share over the last 12 months is about 40 bucks per share. I'm going to assume 10% free cash flow per share growth over the course of the next two years, and then leveling off to 5% thereafter. Now, bear in mind, this assumption could get blown out of the water from one of two things. Uh, it could be AI growth sustaining far beyond what we expect, um, or it could be Broadcom's just overall growth accelerating for the next two years as some of its other business models, like, for example, the wireless, the Apple and other smartphone market making a comeback, just as an example. Or it could be that VMware deal being much, much better than than we anticipate. But at any rate... 10% free cash flow per share growth for the next two years, 5% growth thereafter, uh, a discount rate of 11%, gets us a fair value of seven, $770 per share. As we record this, Broadcom stock trades for about 815, 812, 812 per share. Let's just call it fair price or maybe slightly over fair price. So basically the point I'm making here is the undervalued and underappreciated status, which we believe Broadcom kind of was positioned as for the last three to four years, is now played out. So This is why we are currently just holding our position in Broadcom. We're not adding to it. We're certainly not selling, but just currently holding steady. But this is also why we are shareholders of Marvell technology as well. And we're going to be watching this stock very closely, especially after their rosy commentary on AI. So let's talk a little bit more, Nick, about the AI business model. I know you have some uh, opinions and thoughts about this, uh, especially with the decades-long software-as-a-service model. So what are, your, what are your thoughts on this, and how is this changing with companies like Broadcom? Yeah, our, our interest in chip stocks obviously is a very long dated one, but I think about two years ago, it became, I think 
if you're studying the business model of AI, it started to become very, very clear all the way back, I would say about two years ago, that the decades plus, the decade plus long run in software of a service is was going to get broken by this coming wave of AI. Because this is really not new. It's just kind of hit public attention all of a sudden. But it's this has been building for years now. And the reason is, is you know, software as a service worked because companies like Amazon, AWS, pioneered the cloud. They had all of this spare computing and all of that spare computing could be used to run, uh, I, I won't say basic software services, but pretty cookie cutter style software services that a lot of enterprises around the world were in need of, but didn't necessarily have the resources to just make a big enterprise purchase right out the gate. And so software as a service was a beautiful business model for that. But AI is completely different. Um, the chips needed to run it are very expensive. They require a ton of energy. And so you still need the data center to run them and to operate them at this, at this cur current point. But the pricing model is completely different. Uh, you can't just stick a per user per month um, pricing model on this stuff. It has to be by use, by overall use, because a company one month might be training an AI model and then the next month they're deploying it uh, and, and moving on to the inference stage. So it's consumption-based. The old-fashioned, out-of-favor consumption pricing model of decades past, suddenly making a comeback here in the age of AI. Uh, the other reason it changes things too is AI needs to be customized. You can't have a cookie cutter service that just covers everybody with some minor alterations from one business to the next. AI is very, very contingent on a company's specific data. And those companies do not want to share their data with, uh, with the world at large, certainly not with their competitors. So a lot of times what they're doing is maybe they're they're renting the compute, but they want to maintain control of the data, of the storage. And so you kind of have this a bit of disaggregation of the cloud that further contributes to the breakup of the business model itself. So we're definitely not saying software as a service is dead. Uh, SaaS stocks will continue to do very well, we think, but we don't think they are the we don't think they're going to continue to be the the sexy investment of the decade like they were of the 2010s through the early 2020s. The consumption model is making a comeback, which is what semiconductor businesses have always excelled at. The higher the consumption, the more it favors semiconductor businesses. So this is why we got started really kind of pounding the table on chip stocks uh, a little over six months ago, seven, seven months ago. And we think a lot of these businesses, especially the ones that can combine hardware and software together in one convenient package, will do really, really well over the course of the next decade. Usually small cap stocks kind of lead the way out of a market downturn, a bear market. But we haven't really seen that with this market. We've seen larger cap stocks being the biggest growth driver. So what's what's going on with that? I, again, this just goes back to the same point here. Uh, AI is a very different business model. It, as 
NVIDIA CEO Jensen Wong calls it, it, it it's a full stack problem. You can't just dev design a chip and call it good. You can't just design a piece of software and call it good. You need to develop a solution, an end-to-end -end solution from hardware to software. And that really favors companies that have large scale. Um, now, currently at the moment, this this generative AI hype, maybe maybe it's a bit of a bubble, but we do think this is kind of leading the market out of the bear market of 2022. We don't think generative AI will just kind of sustain this level of hype for the next five years. But basically what it is, the underlying theme is automation. Companies are in really sore need of automating processes. There's still a labor shortage out there. Um, the market is, is very, very tight, which is causing wage inflation, which is trickling into other things like, like rent, home price inflation. There's just a shortage of all sorts of things out there. And so automation is the big underlying trend. And when you start talking about customized AI solutions, automation, this, is, this was always going to be the case. Again, two years ago, this started to become very, very apparent that this next run for the market, let's call it the next bull market of the next five to 10 years will be driven by automation, which will continue to favor very large businesses that can do things at scale. We do think small caps will eventually join the party in a more dramatic fashion, but we kind of always believed that it was going to be large caps that led the charge higher. And so far, the last seven to eight months since we started this channel, uh, yeah, leadership has come from companies like NVIDIA, like Broadcom, even Meta, which is still amazing that so many investors just think of them as a social media company and ignore the fact that they have a fleet of data centers that they, they build and operate. Uh, so companies that are able to do these things at massive scale, the full stack problem, address the full stack problem, will really, really do quite well. Of course, as you probably know, the other thing that we think is going to do really well in this market is chip manufacturing equipment. Companies like Applied Materials and ASML, these companies are definitely going to be some of the biggest benefactors of this market. And that leads me to telling you that we are very close to putting out our sem semiconductor manufacturing equipment. We will have that out to you and give you a platform in which you can, can look at it very soon. So please stay tuned for that. I know we've been promising it for a while, but and I have been working very hard on it for quite a while, but it is coming together. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Thanks all for your patience. Uh, we do have tools that that help Casey put that index together, but it is still a bit of manual labor because uh, even some of the tools out there don't necessarily do a great job scraping the 10Ks uh, for all of these companies, the annual reports. So it's it's a bit of manual labor, but it's been a labor of love. Uh, that's coming out real soon. Also, uh, later this week, Casey, I think we're going to talk about some more semiconductor industry adjacent spaces. I think we're going to visit energy because we had a great question comment about data center energy usage. And we also see that as being a big opportunity because again, uh, there's a shortage of hard assets out there. Uh, energy isn't necessarily one of them. It's not like there's uh, an energy shortage per se, 
However, energy is being used in new ways. And one of them is data centers, AI. So there is opportunity there. And we're going to talk about that. And we mentioned last week, we bought Air Products stock. Uh, we will explain a bit more why we went ahead and started dabbling a bit with that one. Air Products, ticker symbol APD. Thanks everyone for watching today and listening. If you're listening on via podcast, uh, thank you so much for those who have left a tip on coffee. We really, really appreciate it. All of our material, of course, is free for you to use. And so we really, really appreciate when you leave us a tip. Thanks a lot, guys. Also, thank you so much to Main Street Data for their data tables and data viz. We really, really enjoy using their product. If you do too, the link is in the description for their premium service. You can get 10% off with that code. So hope you enjoy using it as well. Thanks all for listening.